Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodie, and I am your host, and I'm talking a little bit quieter than I normally would because it's late, and I don't want to wake anybody up. So um, you got my my like smooth jazz at 2 a.m. voice, which, you know, isn't a lot different than my normal voice. It just happens to be a little bit quieter. Um, before we jump into the show, I just want to take a moment to thank the two people who purchased items off of the merchandise store right now. There's only like, there's a, there's two cups. There's one white and one black and some t-shirts that are pretty much say all of the same thing. And honestly, um, I just kind of put them up there and I just kind of thought that I would get feedback and then I can change things to the way people like them and two people purchase something. I know who one of them is, but I really appreciate uh, you going to the store and actually um, purchasing something that just kind of floored me. It made my whole week. And because of your support through Patreon, PayPal, and um, advertising and actually making purchases on the merch store, which the link is in the show notes, I was actually able to upgrade my preamp. And it, when I say upgrade, it's actually the device that I, I upgraded to is a Wave XLR. It's a $150 preamp. Um, I, there was, there was a $30 off deal on Amazon. So I actually got this thing, uh, for 120 bucks and I think it sounds great. I think it sounds way better than the universal audio, which is much more expensive. So I'm, I'm pretty, pretty happy with it. And this was a recommendation given by Allison and Steve Sheridan. So thank you to them for the recommendation. Um, yeah, I'm really happy with it. Like I haven't even really dug into it, but it, it, so far it's awesome. This week, we have uh, some quick news, and most of this news that I'm about to give you was supposed to be in last week's show, and for whatever reason, I ever, I only gave you the Tesla news, so sorry about that. I, I don't know where my head was at. Uh, so we're going to dig into some news, and then we're going to get into the Tesla earnings call, which was probably one of the best earnings calls in recent years. Like, I was really curious to see if Elon would show up because of all this Twitter stuff, and he's been on the TED Talks, and... You know, it's just been Elon everywhere recently. And uh, he did, and he was a very subdued Elon. And the best part of this earnings call is the behind-the-scenes stuff that we're going to hear. So let's go ahead and jump into our news so we can get to the best part of the show, which is the earnings call. Ford followed Tesla into the EV market, and now they are copying Tesla by raising prices of the Mach-E. The Mach-E now starts at $61,900, or... 47,530 pounds, which is about a $7,800 increase or a 6,000 pound increase. The catch is with this, the increase is only taking place in the UK. So if you're in the United States, you're safe, but still, still a price increase. Continuing on with the Mach-E news, Ford is no longer taking orders for the following models of Mach-E. The Premium, the California Route 1, and the GT Performance Mach-E. Um, in other words, they're just sold out for 2022. They're just done taking orders. Although, you can try to find one at a dealership. 
um, but you can't direct order one. So the Select and GTs are the only Mach-E's available still to buy. But I went to Ford's website, and even those models were you 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 couldn't you couldn't order them directly. So I'm not sure what's going on there. But um, I mean, I guess kind of a good thing for Ford because they're the the car's selling so well. It's um, they're sold out, but kind of a bummer for Mach-E fans. And then some good news for Ford Lightning reservation holders. Ford's going to hold a launch event on April 26th, which is in just a few days. And we will be sure to cover it here on this podcast. Lots of stuff coming up. I've got some really good stuff that Steve Sheridan sent over that I'm going to cover next week. Um, yeah, there's just, there's so much news right now. It's like, uh, Every time I turn around, there's a there's a big news story, so that's pretty exciting. Moving on to Fisker, Fisker, Fisker has announced a headquarters in India, and you know we can only assume they're they're going to build cars and sell cars there as well. Uh, let's see, Volkswagen is beefing up the range of their EV platform, which is the MEB platform. They hope to increase range of the MEB platform to a maximum of 700 kilometers or 435 miles, which would be really cool, but also seems like that's a, that's a really lofty goal. In addition to the range boost, VW is also looking at boosting the charging speed to over 200 kilowatts. Currently, right now on their platform, it's only 125 kilowatts. So that's pretty good news for them. The Hyundai Ioniq 5 has won Car of the Year at the New York International Auto Show. Um, this, this car is so darned impressive. Like, there's so many good things about this car. Like I say over and over again, like, if the Cybertruck doesn't happen, I would be more than happy to buy a Kia or a Hyundai Ioniq 5 or even a Kia EV6. But just recently, Kia announced the EV9, which is their big SUV, which is about the size of a Telluride, or it is the size of a Telluride. It's just the the electric version of it. And the Telluride is a really nice vehicle, and it's going to start at $50,000. So um, my wife thinks the Ionic 5 uh, is maybe a little bit ugly, but uh, I think she'd really like the look of the Kia. It looks, it's a good-looking car, that EV9. Another Hyundai news, they are also planning on building an EV assembly plant and battery factory in the United States. Uh, we just don't know where at this point. They do have a big plant in Montgomery, Alabama, so maybe that somewhere around there. But then again, maybe maybe it might be somewhere on the West Coast. Who knows? Honda will invest $40 billion into EVs, and $40 billion seems like a very impressive number. But when you look at Honda and how they've kind of positioned themselves for the EV market, um, I believe uh, that they're behind. That's just my opinion from what I see in the market. I, I think Honda's way far behind, and they're doing everything they can, like working with Sony. And I have another story about them here shortly to kind of... Um, to kind of bolster their position in the market, which is currently very weak. They are going to continue building hybrids until the 2030s. So you can kind of see where that's going with Honda, but they will stop producing any gasoline powered vehicles by the 2040s, which I guess is good. I'm glad to see Honda uh, kind of drawing a hard line in the sand, <laughs> you know, 2040. It's, it's not that far away. Only 18 years, Honda. Honda will also be investing $250 million into uh, solid-state battery technology. Honestly, that number seems pretty low, but they're going to invest $250 million in that. And I told you that story, so I could tell you this one. General Motors, LG, Kim, and Honda are teaming up to create an EV modular architecture that will allow for a series of vehicles under $30,000, which is, I'm on board with this. This sounds awesome. Um, to be clear, though, they're not creating an EV together. They're just sharing technology. And it sounds like GM's Ultium battery platform 
and uh, Ultium uses the pouch technology for the cells, which I believe Hyundai uses as well, Hyundai and Kia. But according to a popular science article, the advantage of the pouch cells over the cylindrical is that they're safer, allegedly. When a pouch cell fails, it'll like kind of bulge and then that's, you know, the, the heat will dissipate better than the cylindrical cells. Um, I'm going to have to look into this further, to be honest with you. I just read the article real quick. The other advantage of the pouch cells is that they are cheaper and more versatile than the cylindrical cells. All right, this is our final story before we get to the Tesla earnings call. So let's switch gears here. That that was hard for me to say. You have no idea how many times I had to uh, re-record that little bit. So we're going to switch gears to space. And I want to thank Chip for passing this article along to me. I, I think it's pretty cool. So we all know when SpaceX does a big rocket launch and they're, they bring their, I don't even know what we're, we're calling them, astronauts from their safe enclosure to the not-as-safe capsule. They're riding in a modified Model X. So um, we've all seen that. It's It's pretty iconic. It's pretty cool when they do this. Well, not to be outdone, NASA has announced that the Artemis astronauts will be transported from their crew quarters to Launch Pad 39 via a specially designed canoe transport vehicle. This is so cool. It's freaking canoe. Like, I, I, I love this company, but I honestly did not think that they were going to exist much longer than a blip in the EV world. But it looks like... Uh, from the picture that Chip said along, that Canoe's lifestyle vehicle will be modified. So if you don't know what this vehicle looks like, it kind of looks like a lunar rover uh, mixed with a minivan. So um, I would highly suggest going to Canoe's website, C-A-N-O-O, and taking a look at this vehicle. But the vehicle will be used for countdown test, training, and then whatever other NASA shenanigans they get up to. But this is a really cool-looking vehicle. And, of course, it'll be modified to uh, fit the astronauts and all the gear that they got to wear. But still, it's pretty awesome. Like this, you, can, you can hear the excitement in my voice on this. Um, this is going to happen in June of 2023, although they're probably testing it out now. And if you're not aware... Canoe has several different vehicles in development. They have the lifestyle vehicle, which has about a mile, a range of 250 miles, 188 cubic feet of interior. And just kind of for reference, the ID Buzz, which is uh, Volkswagen's van, has 138 cubic feet of interior. So quite a bit more in the canoe. And it comes in different flavors. This lifestyle vehicle, there's a configuration for delivery there's con there's the base configuration premium and adventure which i'm curious to know what it is all included in the adventure so pretty cool news there and thank you chip for passing along i still need to reply to your email sorry about that uh it's been a crazy couple of days so but i do appreciate you passing along Oh, you know what? As I scrolled, as I scroll down, we have one more news story, and I promise this is the last one more. We talked last week about Elon saying that the SEC, Security Exchange Commission, knew that the funding was actually secured for Tesla to go private, but they decided to open an investigation anyway, which caused the banks uh, to tell Elon and Tesla that they would not... Uh, loan to them unless they settled with the SEC. Elon didn't have a lot of really nice things to say about the San Francisco office of the SEC. Well, it turns out a federal judge has ruled that Elon's tweets of taking Tesla private were false and misleading. So I will keep you updated as this saga continues, but Pretty interesting uh, turn of events this week. I'm just going to give you the the real quick basic Patreon plug this week. If if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash kilowatt or support kilowatt.com and you can see all the options we have up there for supporting the show. And now let's jump into the earnings call, which was very much like an, uh, a Reddit ask me anything. It was just like a 
just a really cool, um, laid back earnings call. It was just like, uh, it really just kind of felt like we were all just huddled around the executive team and we had our bean bags and we were, we were nice and warm and safe. And we got a lot of good information from this earnings call. It's, it's uh, honestly, I think, I think I said this at the top of the show, but I, this is honestly like one of the best earnings calls that Tesla's had in a while, um, in terms of, um, information that we can use as, as you know, fans of the company and investors of the company. So let's go ahead and jump in. Uh, Zach Kirkhorn is going to do opening remarks and, uh, Zach's opening remarks actually, uh, were before Elon's on this earnings call, which is not, not typical. So let's go ahead and listen to Zach. Q1 was a challenging but extremely successful quarter for the company. Despite numerous supply interruptions, including shutdowns at our Shanghai factory and nearby suppliers due to COVID, we've continued making progress and achieved our best ever vehicle deliveries. Last quarter, we demonstrated a series of new financial records, including revenue, gross margins, operating margin, and bottom line profitability. Gap Automotive gross margin reached 32.9% and for the first time exceeded 30% when excluding regulatory credits. Higher pricing continues to positively impact our financials as we make progress delivering cars in our growing backlog. Note that for most vehicles, our delivery wait times are quite long, thus cars delivered in Q1 generally carried pricing set in prior quarters and at levels lower than cars being ordered today. Our per unit vehicle costs increased as well. Inflation, raw material prices, expedites, and logistics costs continues to impact our cost structure. Factory shutdowns also occurred with little to no notice, hence we are unable to take action to plan those interruptions in a cost-efficient manner. Additionally, we saw a slight mix shift towards more profitable vehicles, including the Model Y. We also recognized a one-time benefit of $288 million from credit revenue relating to a regulatory change in the U.S. CAFE penalty, without of which credit revenue would have declined compared to the same period last year. The energy business has continued to be impacted by macro conditions more severely than the vehicle business. Our storage products are in need of chip supply, and new import processes have have impacted supply of certain components for our solar systems, which is reflected in our solar volume for the quarter. OPEX as a percentage of revenue continues to reduce, driven by higher revenue, lower stock-based comp expense, and other items. As a result of our ongoing improvements in operating leverage, we achieved a record operating margin of over 19%. Note that commissioning costs for our factories are in R&D, as Berlin started production in late March and Austin in early April. These costs will be in automotive cogs going forward, given these factories are now producing customer sellable cars. Our free cash flows have remained quite strong, yet we're impacted by working capital related to lower than planned production. Additionally, we have reduced our debt, excluding product financing, to nearly zero. Looking ahead in the immediate term, a few things to keep in mind for Q2. First, we've lost about a month of build volume out of our factory in Shanghai due to COVID-related shutdowns. Production is resuming at limited levels, and we're working to get back to full production as quickly as possible. This will impact total build and delivery volume in Q2. Second, as I've mentioned before, Austin and Berlin are just starting their ramps, and thus those inefficiencies will start to flow through our gross margins in Q2. Third, we do have higher ASPs in our backlog, which will help to offset some of these headwinds. We continue to drive towards further strengthening of our financials in the second half of the year and believe our 50% or above growth rate remains achievable for the year. All right. Uh These opening remarks were a great precursor to what's going to come on the rest of the call. And I don't really have anything to add at this point because you're going to hear about it later. Elon's opening remarks were similar to Zach's. So I didn't include them in this uh, part of the show, but you can still go back at ir.tesla.com and you can listen to the whole thing if you want. But here's kind of a rundown. Uh, some of the things that Elon added. Elon thinks that Optimus, which is the robot, will be worth more than FSD someday. Uh, volume production of the Cybertruck will begin in 2023. Volume production of the RoboTaxi will begin in 2024. And this is just my opinion. If Tesla hasn't figured out full self-driving and if it's not feature complete or approved by you know local governments to to drive on the roads, 
I don't see them entering volume production for this vehicle. They might have some test vehicles out there, but I just can't see um, producing a bunch of these robo-taxis and not being able to use them the way that Tesla wants to use them. Now, since we're talking about full self-driving, let's talk about the full self-driving timeline and the data behind Tesla's optimistic outlook on full self-driving. Now, the first if I ask your question is, Elon has historically provided FSD timelines with not optimal accuracy. We love if it's optimism for 2022 release, but is there any data Tesla can share with investors to help them make their own conclusions on progress being made, interventions per mile driven, or any other data? Sure. Um, well, it, with respect to full self-driving, uh, of any technology development I've ever been involved in, I've, I've never really seen more kind of false dawns or, or where it seems like we're going to break through, but, but we don't, as I've seen in uh, full self-driving. And ultimately, what it comes down to is that to solve full self-driving, you actually have to solve real-world artificial intelligence. Uh, which is which nobody has solved. Um, the whole road system is made for um, biological neural nets and uh, and eyes. And so, actually, when you think about it, in order to solve uh, uh, full self-driving, we have to solve uh, neural nets and and cameras um, to a degree of fun- a capability that is on par with and really exceeds humans. Um, and uh, I, I, I think we will achieve that this year. The best way to uh, reach your own assessment is to join the Tesla full self-driving beta program. We have over 100,000 people right now enrolled in, in that program, and we expect to broaden that significantly this year. So uh, that's that's my recommendation, is, is join the full self-driving beta program and experience it for yourself uh, and take note of the uh, rate of improvement with every release. And we we put out a new release roughly every two weeks. Uh, So uh, and you'll see a little bit of two steps forward, one step back. uh, But overall, uh, the rate of improvement is incredibly quick. So that's my recommendation for reaching your own assessment is, is literally try it. Okay, we heard a little bit of this spiel last week. Um, you'd think if after a few times of thinking that you had a certain problem solved and then finding out that there were more issues and you created more problems trying to solve the one problem, you'd be a little bit more cautious um, about publicly announcing when you think you would um, actually you know, solve the wider problem. So uh, Tesla and Elon, they've been burned so many times on Elon's optimistic, you know, where it's just around the corner. It's just around the corner. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know why you wouldn't just say, Hey, listen, this is hard. It's not around the corner. It's at least three years away. And if you get it in three years or within that three year time frame, then great. And if you don't, you know, you got to push it back, but saying it's, you know, coming by the end of the year, we've been hearing that for at least six years that I've been doing this podcast and it's not here yet. So, um, and then Elon mentioned that if you want to know what full self-driving can do, and by the way, I think full self-driving is, is fantastic. There's some scary moments, but as, as a general rule, I think it's, it's pretty good. But anyway, Elon mentions that if you want to know how good it is, then sign up for the full self-driving beta. Um, To which I say, what if the investors that are asking this question don't have access to a Tesla? Maybe they don't own one and maybe they don't know anybody who has one. Um, I think that's a little um, insensitive isn't the right word. I think it's um, myopic isn't the right word either. I think it's silly just to assume that uh, an investor already owns a Tesla. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Maybe they can't afford a Tesla, but they can afford to invest. I I think, I I don't think that was a good answer is where I'm going with this. The next question is about the impact of the Shanghai shutdown. And uh, 
then there's a second question, follow-up question about localized Model 3 in Europe. So let's listen to that. How much of an impact will the uh, production shutdown in Shanghai have in Q2? What is the timeline for localizing the Model 3 in Europe or uh, will never new, or will newer models be prioritized in Berlin? Well, the, um, yeah, we did lose a, a lot of important days of production and, and there's, there are sort of upstream supplier challenges where a lot of suppliers also lost uh, many days of production. But uh, our Tesla Shanghai Giga Shanghai is coming back with a vengeance. Uh, so I I think, uh, notwithstanding, you know, new issues that arise, I think we will see record output per week um, from Giga Shanghai uh, this quarter, um, albeit we are missing a couple of weeks. So, um, you know, that, that means that most likely uh, vehicle production in Q2 will be Similar to Q1, maybe slightly lower, um, but it's also possible we may pull a rabbit out of the hat and, and be slightly higher. But it's we call it r- roughly on par. Um, but uh, then, but then Q3 and Q4 will be substantially higher. Um, so it, it you know it, it seems likely that we'll be able to produce uh, over one and a half million cars this year. Is my that, that's my best guess. Uh, and then Model 3, uh, it's important for new factories to be focused um, on uh, and have the least amount of uh, complexity and variation, which is why uh, Gigabull and Giga Texas are focused on the Model Y. Um, it, it's, it's from the point at which you have a factory complete and, you, and, and you're making a, a small number of units to the point where it's uh, uh, producing high-quality high vehicles uh, in volume uh, is, uh, you know, sort of nine to twelve months from start of production. So now, hopefully, we're we're getting better at that ramp. So maybe it's a little less, but uh, to, to get to sort of the five thousand a week uh, level is typically. That taken us uh, around 12 months from start of production. All right. That's good to know. Um, once a, a factory opens, whether that's the uh, battery factories or the automotive part of the factories, it doesn't matter. It takes nine to 12 months to hit volume production. What I found interesting was that volume production is considered 5,000 a week, which to me seems like a smaller number than I would expect. But since I don't know anything about auto manufacturing, maybe that's a reasonable number. I have no idea. It just seems small. And when, you, especially when you consider like how many people are waiting to get their Teslas and I'm sure Tesla would like to build as many, you know, model threes, model Ys, S and X's as they possibly can. But it just seems like a, seems like a small number. All right here. Let's see our next, Oh, our next, uh, clip is actually really interesting they're going to talk about raw materials exposure which i don't know what that means but more importantly they're going to talk about the price hikes so let's listen to that how much raw material exposure do you have measured roughly in percentage of uh, percentage of cost of goods sold for example in a given quarter versus one to two years out both direct and indirect separately how do you think about price increases versus prioritizing higher mixed vehicles going forward um, I, actually, on the, on the price increase front, I should mention that it may seem like like maybe we're being unreasonable about increasing the prices of our vehicles, given that we had record profitability this quarter. But the the, the, the wait list for our vehicles is quite long, and some of the vehicles that people will order, uh, the, the wait list extends into next year. So uh, our prices of vehicles ordered now are really anticipating uh a supplier and logistics cost growth uh, that uh, that we're that we we're aware of and believe will happen uh, over the next uh, you know, six to twelve months. So uh, that that's that's why we have the price increases today because a car order today would will, will arrive in some cases a year from now. So we have a very long wait list, um, and 
we're, we're obviously not uh, demand limited. We are production limited by very much production limited. Okay, so the price increases today are for vehicles that will be delivered a year from now. That makes sense, right? Tesla's got to to stay afloat as a company, so they need to anticipate what the price of materials, logistics, and labor costs will be. And I'm sure there's other stuff in there that I don't understand. Um, if Tesla sees or thinks that the prices will come down, will they start reducing the price of the vehicle a year in advance? Like they're, they're increasing the price of the vehicle almost a year in advance with anticipation of prices rising. If they anticipate prices falling in a year, are they going to reduce that a year out or are they going to wait until prices of materials and stuff has actually fallen to a certain point um, before they actually reduce the actual cost of the vehicle? So like, I think it's, it's great that Tesla is anticipating this. And I think that's very responsible, but on the other side, are, are they just going to be like, you know what? These are profits. We're going to take the profits because we know the prices are going to come down and eventually we'll have to lower our, our prices for the vehicles. Cause you know, these commodity prices have come down. Um, but yeah, also I'm curious as to if we'll ever see the model, let's say the model Y and the model uh, three, I'm curious if we'll ever see that uh, those vehicles down to the base price of what they were when they first came out, or will Tesla just reduce them two or three thousand dollars, and that'll be the price, even though, or even if materials are much much lower, and they can, because obviously they can sell them at sixty thousand dollars. In the case of the Model Y, they can sell them at sixty thousand dollars a piece, and people are lining up for it. Let's see here. Uh, one of the questions that I cut out, which I thought was a good question, just Elon had a really quick answer for it. Why not fight dealership laws at a federal level instead of state by state? So Elon said there wasn't much interest by legislators at the federal level to help them out with this. So they have to, uh, they just go by state by state to fight these battles. In the United States, we have states' rights. So there are certain things that the state can do, and it's a little bit harder for the federal government to tell them what to do. So that's why we have like a carrot and stick system. So if the federal government wants a state to do something, they'll just like withhold like highway funds until the state relents, uh, that kind of thing. All right, our next clip is a good one. It's all about um, 800 volt systems and is Tesla gonna convert to an 800 volt system for their vehicles? So let's go ahead and listen. Yeah, sure, on the 800 volt thing. Um, yeah, so it, it's it's really a case by case thing for the smaller platform vehicles like three and Y, there's you know there's some wins and losses with 800 volts, not everything is is better. Um, and so we look at that platform and, you know, we, we're not like ignoring the reality that you can go to a higher voltage, but it, it, there's no, no, nothing really encouraging us to do so on that platform. Uh, it's really about mass and power. And uh, as you look at bigger vehicles, there, there are some advantages uh, uh, on those bigger vehicles. And I would just quantify that. that, that basically, yeah. basically like, <laughs> our estimate is that like, going from 400 to 800 volts might save 100 bucks. Yep, it's, it's not really moving needle. And you're changing many things. Yes, but exactly. from the charging infrastructure all the way through the entire vehicle system. Yes, to get maybe a hundred dollars. Yes, exactly. So, um, I mean, in the US, you got a one ten volt uh, household like power or voltage, and and then in your most possible, you know, like sort of two twenty. Um, but really, it doesn't make that much of a difference, and appliances work pretty much as as well, you know, in say Europe as they do in the US. Yeah. Um, so the, the, there's some the advantages are are, are small, um, and the, and the cost is high. Uh, like if you say like long term, like years from now, is it does it make sense to probably move to an 800 volt architecture? I said probably, but it really needs a, a very big vehicle volume to pay for the, all the costs of uh, changing from 400 to 800 volts. Um, and then, and then the, uh, you, know, you want to continue with the 
Oh, I was just going to say that hundred volts is also kind of like a spreadsheet exercise, right? hundred dollars. Sorry, hundred hundred dollars is, is roughly like a spreadsheet exercise. Like you know that you have to get through the full program yeah. to the end to see that maybe it's been whittled away to fifty or, or less. Yeah. Um, uh, on on bigger vehicles where you're talking about higher power on the charging side or higher power from the battery to the power electronics or you need more torque so so the 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 current requirements go up there's a little bit more semiconductor and and uh, actual like you know conductor savings of going to the higher voltage um and and so we we do consider that for semi and cyber truck but for the three-way platform where we've got everything running and the benefit is questionably small yeah it's it's basically zero for robo taxi yeah for robo taxi yeah it doesn't make sense yeah Okay, for a company that doesn't want to talk about RoboTaxi and they want to save that for a big announcement next year, they talk a lot about RoboTaxi. And I'm guessing that this is just going to be a single-seater clown car, and that's what RoboTaxi is going to be. Or Homer Simpson's car. It's just going to be this monstrosity that Homer Simpson made. Um, I I think that... Right now, their systems are built on 400 volt systems, and I think it would just, you know, I I see, I can see why it wouldn't make financial sense to convert everything to 800 volt, especially for the smaller cars. They did mention that Cybertruck and Semi, an 800 volt system, makes more sense. Um, I I I have an idea as to why an 800 volt system is better than a 400 volt system, which and a lot of it has to do with charging. But I I don't know enough at this point to speak about it with any sort of authority. So I'm going to research that and and get back to you on that. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Our next clip is how it will Tesla secure raw materials to scale to extreme size. And they don't really go into what extreme size is. So um, I guess we just have to use our imagination. But let's listen to the clip. And the next question is, how does Tesla plan to secure raw materials required to scale to extreme size? 
Yeah, so this is something we think about quite a lot. It depends what extreme size means, but um, you know, so certainly if you're like looking at like say the like, uh, five, ten, twenty million dollar, try five, ten, twenty million vehicle um, levels. Uh, the, you, you really have to analyze the sort of macroeconomic, uh, you know, just like just like what is the tonnage of uh, lithium that you need, of nickel, of iron phosphate, of uh, Graphite um, separators, electrolytes, uh, electrolyte—you know—it it, it really needs to think of the, like just macro tonnage, um, and we need to think about this for the world as a whole uh, because you know just uh, like with, we want to figure out what, what are limiting factors for accelerating the advent of, of a sustainable energy future, um, and and whatever. Those limiting factors are Tesla will take action on those limiting factors. So right now we think um, um, mining and refining uh, lithium uh, is uh, it appears to be a limiting factor, um, and it certainly is is uh, responsible for quite a bit of cost growth uh, in the cells. It's I think the single biggest cost growth item right now, uh, certainly on a percentage basis. Um, Although just for those who, who don't totally know this, uh, the actual content of lithium in a lithium ion cell is, is maybe around two or three percent of the cell. So yeah, five kgs a car. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> five kilograms exactly. It's it's not um, it's called a lithium ion cell, but by far the like the most expensive and he- and heaviest item in the cell is the cathode. <laughs> um, so that's the the nickel or the uh, iron phosphate. So. Um, we're looking carefully at all of the uh, raw materials um, and and trying to figure out how we can accelerate the, the total amount of raw materials needed to transition the world to sustainability. Um, and I think we've got, you know, we don't have enough time on this call to really go through all those details, but we are thinking about these things and uh, we think we'll have some exciting announcements in the months to come. Yeah. One thing I, I want to call out is like we're also you know committed to recycling at all of our cell factories. Um, yeah. We're recycling 50 tons a week right now in Reno and ramping to 150 with all of that reclaimed material going directly back into our cathode supply chain. So we're looking at the beginning and end of life uh, uh, needs here. Yeah, and, and that's true. Like since Reno, we built Gigafactory, we started doing that with batteries. But as we built newer factories or vehicles. For example, Giga Texas here, where we are today, recycles like, all of its uh, non-yielded or scrap aluminum from the stamping shop directly into the casting shop. We regrind any plastic that yeah. goes out, and so we're really concerned about raw materials, not just like mining them and consuming them, but when we get them in the door, using all 100% of them. Yeah, Lars, that, that's a great point. Um, so we're storing, we're installing um, sort of melt uh, furnaces for um, for aluminum, like so for. The, you know, for the bottle Y that we build here uh, in at Giga Texas has both a front and a rear bo- uh, body casting. So we're, we're casting almost two thirds of the body, and then that's cast. It's high pressure die cast aluminum, um, and uh, so w- we can take both aluminum, both scrap from the casting machine, um, and the, the gating that comes out, and and put that be- just really toss that back into the melting aluminum melting pot and then as Laz was saying also take uh, any stampings um and any other aluminum scrap um and also throw it in that in the melting pot uh, and, and in fact um we, we've also uh, figured out that we can use um wheels wheels from from practically any car um yeah yeah so we're, we're going to be recycling um the uh, aluminum cast aluminum wheels from um legacy gasoline cars as well and 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 throwing that in the melting pot uh, for our uh, aluminum cast body of uh, model y and um you know and, and also we'll, we'll, we'll be moving to uh the, the sort of cast front and rear body uh you know in in all vehicles over time well, well actually maybe not sx but three y all right. I think this is really cool. First of all, Tesla's recycling game seems to be on point. Um, I love that they're recycling wheels from ice cars. That's pretty cool. 
when Tesla was first building the 2170 cells, um, when they were ramping up and they were going through some production hell, not only with the Model 3, but with the 2170 cells, we heard a lot of stories coming out of Giga Nevada where there was just a ton of waste just sitting out in the yard and uh, Tesla wasn't doing anything about it. And and it's good to hear that, you know, they're pretty much any sort of scrap that they can they can recycle and, and, you know, melt down and, and create a new part with they're doing it. So that's, that's good to hear. So I want to ask you guys and gals a question, um, based on what they were saying in this clip, does it sound like to you that they are wanting, uh, to do, to create their own mining company or do their own mining within Tesla Email me, Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital.com and let me know what you think. It sounded like to me they wanted to do this, but I'd like to know your thoughts. Um, and then also, I thought it was interesting that there's only about 5 kilograms of lithium or 11 pounds of lithium in a battery pack. Uh, that was pretty fascinating. I knew that they didn't use very much lithium in terms uh, for the battery packs or each cell didn't have that much lithium. I didn't know it was so little. So that's pretty cool. Uh, one of the questions that I cut out was about the 4680 cell run rate at Fremont and Giga Texas. And basically right now they're not at volume production. They still have some things to solve. Uh, Elon thinks in the team, they think that the volume production will be, you know, first quarter of 2023 and maybe it will, maybe it won't. I don't know. If you buy a Model Y from Giga Texas, then you don't necessarily get the 4680 battery cells with the structural battery pack. You might actually get a Model Y with 2170 cells, depending on how many 4680 cells they have laying around. So that's good to know. All right, let's go ahead and jump to our next clip here. You know, one of the initial goals of Model 3 way back when was to have an EV that was affordable for a, a wide portion of the market. And, you know, we know prices are, are much higher now, just given the supply constraints. Uh, prices are, are higher for, for all other automakers. We know that there's inflation that you're battling through, and some of that needs to be passed through to the to price of the vehicles. Um, and you're going to be supply constrained for the foreseeable future. So it's sort of a moot point. But given the, the goal long-term of making EVs more widely available, uh, to the masses over time. How how do you look at uh, the progression of prices over time? We absolutely want to make um, EVs as affordable as possible. It's been very difficult with the, um, you know, I mean, I think inflation is at like a 40 or 50 year high. Um, and I think the, the the official numbers actually understate the true magnitude of inflation. So, um, and and that inflation appears to be uh, likely to continue for at least the remainder of this year is is what it, you know when we when we're talking to suppliers, the suppliers under under severe uh, cost pressure. So um, yeah, you know, and it, in some cases we're seeing suppliers request twenty thirty twenty to thirty percent uh, cost increases for parts from. Um, last year to the end of the you know to the end of this year so it's there's there's a lot of cost pressure there um that's that's why we raised our prices because we in it and when things are this uncertain with with respect to inflation if you know it's high then and we're we've got orders that go out a year or more in some cases then we have to anticipate those those cost increases um but uh I think especially with the robotaxi and autonomy, I think we'll end up uh, providing uh, consumers with by far the lowest cost per mile of transport that they've ever experienced. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, with the robotaxi, like maybe five to ten times lower cost per mile, it's really quite substantial. And therefore, accessible to everybody. Yeah. I mean, it, looking at some of our projections, it, it, it would appear that uh, a robo taxi ride will cost less than a bus ticket, a subsidized bus ticket. 
subsidized subway ticket. Once again, for a product that they don't want to talk about, they are talking a lot about the RoboTaxi. And here's what I want from the RoboTaxi. I, I want the Optimus robot in the driver's seat driving the RoboTaxi. As a matter of fact, maybe this is how they solve full self-driving. Because earlier in the episode, Elon mentioned that roads are hard because they were basically designed for us humans. And honestly, I don't remember, I don't know if I brought this up or not but like roads go back you know romans time roman times like a long time ago 2000 plus years ago they're building roads and over time the rules of the road have kind of been ingrained into us as humans so i can see where this is a kind of a difficult thing to solve for especially when you consider you know there's different traffic laws in different countries and all that other stuff so I get that they're having a hard time, but maybe they're making the artificial human to be able to drive in 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 full self-driving mode without making mistakes. I know that that's not practical, but I want that to be true. How great would it be the only way full self-driving actually works was would to be to have like an Android robot sitting there and and driving you around that'd be pretty cool as far as i'm concerned uh the the next clip is all about inflation the supply chain and will the constraints affect ev adoption this is a really good question so let's listen in hi everybody um i i'm trying to just parse out your comments about the um inflation and constrained supply and battery feedstocks and and the initiatives that you are working on internally to secure these materials. It it sounds like um, you're optimistic about Tesla's ability to solve this for Tesla. Uh, But do you see this as as a constraint on EV adoption more broadly? Yeah, absolutely. But you know what what's sort of keeping um our costs down at least in the short term is that we have long-term contracts with suppliers but those long-term contracts will obviously run out and and then uh, you know we'll start to see potentially significant cost increases um but but the at a macro sort of looking at the world as a whole and saying uh okay what does it take for earth to transition to sustainable energy faster it's it's fundamentally uh, the fundamental limiting factor is the output uh, of the cell the basically cell output. Um, at what rate can lithium ion cells increase the gigawatt hours per year? That is the fundamental limiting factor. Um, so in order for, and and that will move as fast as the slowest least lucky element of the whole supply chain. Um, currently, we see that uh, as being a, a challenge uh, with lithium, um, and, and it's not that. To be clear, it's not that there's a, a shortage of lithium ore in the world. Lithium is present almost everywhere. Um, it's a very common element. Uh, however, you, you still need to, to, you know, dig up the uh, ore, or dig up basically the spodumene or whatever the the, the clay uh, with the lithium. Uh, and and then you need to go through a whole series of re- refinement steps, and that's a lot of industrial equipment that's needed uh, to go to refine uh, lithium ore to lithium that can be used as lithium hydroxide or lithium carbonate in um, the battery cell. Um, so we we think we're going to need to help uh, the industry on this front. Um, um, but the I mean the industry is going fast, and I certainly. You know, encourage uh, entrepreneurs out there who are looking for opportunities to get into the lithium business. Uh, <laughs> the lithium um, margins right now are practically software margins. <laughs> uh, I mean, if the, if the uh, I think of it's something literally. I think it, there's there's a. Uh, I mean, is that correct me if I'm wrong? But I think um, we're seeing cases where the the, the spot lithium price is. Uh, ten times higher than the cost of extraction. Uh, so, not like we're talking ninety percent margins here. 
can some can more people please get into the lithium business? It's if, if, if do you, do you like minting money? Uh, well, the lithium, lithium business is for you. Um. <laughs> I, I love minting money, or I would love the opportunity to mint money. I don't think anybody's going to give me money so that I can build a business to mint money in lithium. But if Elon would like to give me some of his money to do that, I'd be happy to give it a shot. No promises. Uh, let's see. I don't really have anything to add to that. I thought it was really interesting, though. I did cut out uh, a question, and it was, will Tesla expand Giga Nevada? And the answer was yes, but they didn't ex- you know, specifically say what they were going to do with it. But maybe you know the semi comes out of there. We don't know. Our next clip is all about raw material supply build-out. And I don't know why, but the raw materials questions are really fascinating to me. So if you're get if you bored of these, please let me know because I won't include them in the future shows. But I think they're just fascinating. The, the whole thing, I think, is just super fascinating. So let's go ahead and listen. Oh, great. Do you, do you guys hear me? Yeah. Yeah, perfect. Uh, just to follow up, sorry to keep going on the, the raw material issue on the battery side, but obviously seems pretty important. Yeah, how quickly can raw material supply be built? Because my understanding, it takes many years to build that out. So are we just sort of facing, when do you think we see a lithium shortage or a nickel shortage? And is there even enough time to build that sort of mining capacity in place? And then related, you know, how quickly can you switch to like LFP, you know, for, for the nickel issue? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll take the LFP question. Like, you know, and it says so in our letter, but like half of our products were LFP last quarter, which shows how quickly we were able to uh, respond to, well, honestly, it, it wasn't because of a raw material shortage, but just because it seemed like the right thing to do, we could change our cathode chemistry. Um, and and there's more to be done on the, on the, on the cathode side, and we are actively pursuing it to, to give us substitution flexibility in response to market conditions between um, the the other cathode uh, cathodes that are out there that can be competitive in our vehicles of which there are, are many options so you know we, we, we um, I guess what I would say is uh, specifically on the cathode side like flexibility is the is the way we're going to achieve this and not all of the materials that go into cathodes are actually first of all hard to secure like through mining or refining um, and, and second of all, in, in many cases are like very plentiful already, like huge scale. And, you know, if all of the batteries in the world use those cathodes, it's less than a 1% increase in total uh, annual output. So that's that's the that's the cathode side. You know, I think Elon already spent a lot of time talking about lithium. Um, it really depends on the resource. Some resources, like just getting rocks out of the ground, you know, expanding the amount of rocks that you're getting out of the ground is, you know, maybe a little bit of paperwork and some additional um, sort of blasting and and, and trucking uh, operations. The refining is 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 maybe where there's you know it's a little bit more chunky to to bring it online. But also the refining doesn't. It's not like an oil refinery. It's a much much smaller operation to refine uh, lithium out of spodumene or or or, or liquid um, uh, like a brine or or a salt salt pond evaporation. So. You know, you're talking about a timescale of one to two years, and it's not like we haven't been talking uh, to all of the lithium you know, many, uh, suppliers out there for many years. They have a lot of projects already in the pipeline to come online this year and next. Uh, some of what's going on in the lithium market this year doesn't actually have truth to bear to the like fundamentals of supply and demand. Um, which is also a little frustrating. Um, <laughs> but uh, but but yeah, if we look past this year or next year and into 2030 when we need 15 to 20 terawatt hours of this stuff to, you know, get on the growth trajectory, stay on the growth trajectory we're on. Um, we need, we need everybody to do more in the lithium space than they currently are. I did think it was interesting that half of the vehicles that Tesla sold were on the LFP battery chemistry. I didn't think it would be quite so many. So that was interesting. Uh, one of the things that I cut out here was a question, will Tesla be opening the Tesla charging network in the United States? And the short answer is yes. And then our final clip for this week is Tesla insurance update. So let's go ahead and listen to that. 
Okay, that's helpful. And um, for my second question, could you share any more details on Tesla insurance in particular as you're rolling it out in more states? Uh, Are there any metrics you can share on what take rates have been like and how do uh, profitability margins on the insurance offering compared to the corporate average? Thank you. Um, So we just launched Tesla insurance um, for real-time insurance in Virginia, Colorado, and Oregon earlier this week. Um, maybe one stat that I'll share. So Texas is our longest standing real-time insurance market. But based upon the information that we have, you know, Tesla is the second largest insurer of Teslas in the state of Texas. And um, possibly by the end of this quarter, maybe early next quarter, will be the largest insurer uh, of Teslas. And so, you know, the customer reception to this has been quite positive. And um, uh, if I was reading social media on Monday after we launched in the three new states. Um, you know, a lot of folks were reporting their stories of saving quite substantial amounts of money relative to their previous insurance. And so we're quite encouraged by that. And we're working as quickly as we can to get to 80% of customers having access to a Tesla insurance product by the end of this year uh, in the United States, You know, at which point we'll pivot our attention to expansion outside of the U.S., Um, The other thing I'll say on insurance is with these three new states, um, the the model is different because we are now the underwriter and we are also now holding the risk. And so uh, with those states, we are a fully vertically integrated provider of insurance um, from systems and financials. Uh, With with respect to the financials of the program, it's still very early. And so, you know, as the program gets more scale, uh, happy to share more information on that. And one one side note is that we are seeing that the, Having real-time uh, feedback for uh, driving habits uh, is actually um, resulting in Tesla owners uh, driving the cars uh, in a safer way. Um, so, you know, because they can see the they get real-time feedback on okay, this is this is affecting my insurance rate uh, or it isn't, um, and and so. When people see can consider see a real time score, um, and realize oh if I if I make the polling changes in my um, driving habits, then I pay less in insurance. Then they have a, you know a, a very like a real time feedback loop for uh, driving for safer driving and an incentive to do so. So it is actually what we're seeing is it is causing people to drive uh, their cars in a safer manner, uh, which is also not good. It's safer on average. What we see in the data, to Elon's point, and uh, premiums are lower. Uh, We see that in the take rate data. We have extremely high retention uh, for customers who experience the product. And and I think I've talked about this in the past, but this has become a real passion program for us, you know, for these benefits. It's, It's bigger than just the economics. We're trying to do a good thing here. Um, for our customers, save save people money and make the roads a little bit safer. Yeah, I think it improves just overall macroeconomic efficiency. Um, it's also a feedback loop for for Tesla uh, because we see uh, if if there is um, you know a crash, um, large or small, like uh, we we ne- we sort of see exactly what that cost, and 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 now we okay think about how can we change the design of the car or the software. Uh, in order to minimize the probability of that, uh, you know, accident. These because most accidents are minor, um, but how do we have those accidents occur less frequently, and uh, and how do we make the repair associated with that accident that accident uh, super fast? Like aspirationally, it would be like same day repair from for a collision. You know, which is just night and day difference compared to sometimes having to wait for a month while insurance claims are settled and figured out and because because Te- tesla is also doing collision repair um but yeah the feedback loop is instant yeah right so i mean we do claims management in-house and so we receive the notification that there's an accident we work to prepare the estimate and um and we can you know with the support of our customers use our collision centers to do the repair yeah and so it's you know full end-to-end visibility and all of that to elon's point we can then identify areas of cost inefficiency, feed those back to engineering teams or elsewhere, software teams, actually improve the product, which lowers the cost of insurance, improves reliability of the product. 
So it's a full full circle. Yeah, and it's a, like basically the customer experience uh, is just vastly better um, because if there's an accident, it, it, there's no argument. It's, we repair it immediately, um, and this is as compared to arguing with an insurance company and then a claims adjuster and then a collision repair center. And uh, this, is, this can be a nightmare, basically. So we want to try to turn a nightmare into a dream with Tesla insurance. All right. I think that was a really good Tesla insurance update. Um, I I like how they are doing, like, they're doing the insurance, they're doing the repair. You know, there's no middleman. You're just dealing with Tesla, and they're trying to give you the best customer experience that they can, right? I think that's great. I'm a little skeptical that there's going to be, you know, same-day repair, even if it's minor, unless they're just going to be buffing something out while you're waiting, which takes, you know, depending on how bad, you know, the scratches or whatever that, you know, that could take a few minutes and that's it. Uh, but other than that, I thought it was a good update. And that is where we're going to leave it here. Another Herculean episode. This is a very long episode. I hope you all enjoyed it, though. I had a good time uh, putting it together for you. If you want to email me, you can find me at Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital.com. If you want to find me on Twitter, it's at 918digital. And my DMs are open if you want to contact me that way. And then also, I mean, what a great last couple of weeks for news. Like, we had a little bit of a dry spill, but, man, it is just, like, rolling in. Uh, it's it's been a lot of fun covering electric vehicles and Tesla over the last couple of weeks. It's it's good. It's just been a lot of fun. I can't can't say enough about it. Anyway, as it gets later, I start babbling, so I'm babbling. So I'm going to let you go. I want to thank everybody for listening to the show. I hope you all have a wonderful week, and I will see you next Friday. Thank you very much. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have this quarter. Uh, so thank you very much for all your great questions, and we'll speak to you again in three months. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.